Wealth Tactic Rebels, ingenious tactics to accumulate wealth for people who see things differently. Welcome to another discussion with Wealth Tactic Rebels, the podcast for people who see things differently. I'm your host, Kevin Dumont, and I've been thinking differently in the wealth field for well over 10 years. And today I am joined by a guest, Paul Moore. Hi, Paul. How are you? Hey, Kevin. Great to be here. Fantastic. I love having you here, Paul, today. It's a nice sunny day. I'm feeling the energy today. (laughs) Yeah, me too. It's going to be a great day. It's going to be a good day. The day after April 15th, right? So we got past that that mound. You know, a lot of people are smiling on April 15th, though, and some are not smiling as much. Hopefully, your audience is among those who are smiling on tax day. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. (laughs) That's always a mixed bag there, I think. Yeah, right. So, Paul is an entrepreneur, and uh, he started, as a lot of people have, working a regular job. He was in a management track over at Ford Motor Company, and eventually found out that he wanted to do something else. That wasn't his, I don't know, cup of tea, I guess you could say. Right. He's now into real estate, commercial real estate investing specifically, but I would love to give you the details. But I think, Paul, I think you're probably better at telling your own story than I am. All right. Well, yeah, I, I got an engineering degree, actually, and then and that was my first mistake. And then I got an <laughs> MBA, which was hopefully, hopefully a better move for me. And I went to Ford Motor Company, and I really liked Ford, Kevin. Yeah. But I found that I was always doing something on the side. I was trying to start a property tax consulting business or an oil chain shop, for goodness sake, in in, uh, Farmington Hills, Michigan. So I eventually started a PEO, which is a professional employer organization, which is an HR outsourcing company with a couple friends. Mm -hmm. And we grew that for about five years. And I, I was finalist for Entrepreneur of the Year a couple times in Michigan. And I got an offer from a publicly traded company to buy our company. And so I thought, wow, this is a great opportunity to retire or semi-retire in my mid-30s. And so I sold the company, had more money than I had since, didn't have any idea how to invest, thought I did. And I actually became a fairly miserable version of myself. I thought I was going to be super dad. I had two kids at the time. We have four now. And I had, you know, I thought I'd be super husband and do all this charity, volunteer work, and all this stuff. And I actually wasn't very good at any of it because I was a high-energy entrepreneur. And if people think that, you know, if you're a high-energy entrepreneur and you think you might want to retire early, you might want to make plans to do something really valuable and meaningful with your time because I wasn't a very good person, you know, in so-called semi-retirement in my 30s. Right. Nothing to do. Yeah, so I eventually started flipping houses in the year 2000. And so that's what got me into real estate. So you got into real estate. So where did that lead you? You were into speculating, correct? Well, you know, I thought I was investing and I actually didn't know the difference between investing and speculating, Kevin. I know you know this, but, you know, investing is when your principal is generally safe and you've got a chance to make a return. Speculating is when your principal is not at all safe. And you've got a chance to make a return. And when I stuck with real estate, I did pretty well and did real well a lot of times. But when I got involved in a wireless internet company or uh, some other things I did, buying gold and silver, trying to time the market, investing in an oil well, I lost a lot of money, Kevin. And that's one of the reasons we started a podcast called How to Lose Money. 
how to lose money. (laughs) We talked to successful entrepreneurs and investors and executives about their past failures and mistakes that they made along the way on their road to success. But anyway, I think you can learn more from people's failures than their successes. So that's oftentimes true. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I I heard a story. I used to, I used to do martial arts when I was young before my joints weren't as good. I don't remember where I'd heard it, but the wisest samurai of all time was the one who lost a thousand battles. Wow. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. That's, it's, it's so true. We, you know, we've talked to 160 people now, I think, and almost all of them say they learn more from their failures and mistakes than they ever did from their successes. And I think right. it's easier to replicate. Uh, I think it's easier to avoid someone else's failures than it is right. replicate their success. I mean, if I look at Jeff right. Bezos, you know, I'm sure I could pick up some things from his good habits, but I bet you if I could learn about all his mistakes, I would learn more. Yeah, I hear you. That's very important. We all want success, but success doesn't come unless you avoid the failures. Right. Or maybe have a couple along the way, but not everyone can afford to have the failures. Not everyone wants to have the failures. I don't think anyone really does. Yeah, right. No, we don't want it. We really don't. Those are important lessons. So I think your how to lose money is is a valuable tool for people to avoid those losses to begin with, yeah. which I think works along with our Wealth Tactic Rebels mantra as well, where we really believe there's a lot more to be had by avoiding losses yeah. than chasing rates of return, which is what you're exactly what you're talking about. I agree. So now I know you, you got into the, the real estate investing. Let me ask you, a lot of people out there probably listening to this episode have been thinking about this before. You know, They watch HGTV, yeah. whatever other channel, and they see people doing these, these flipping shows seems to be the thing now, right? Right. Is it different when you get into it than what people are seeing? Kevin, it is usually so different. I'm telling you, I, I talk to people. I, I'm a, a writer, a blogger, video guy on biggerpockets.com, which is the ah, yes. world's largest real estate investor site. And I talk to dozens of people a month and I've talked to hundreds of people. And what I find is typically they're either trying to spend their evenings, their weekends, every free moment trying to find a house to flip. And they usually find things, you know, you know what is said. It's, it's, it's common knowledge that things cost twice as much. They take twice as long and they're usually half as profitable as you expect. The, the, you know, everybody who watches these HGTV shows thinks, I mean, not everybody, but a lot of people think they can do this and it is possible. The problem is right now, real estate is highly overpriced and it's very hard to get a deal that makes sense. So if you've got an inside track on a house to flip, go for it. But unless if you're trying to buy it and compete on the courthouse steps or finding on the MLS, you might find uh, it's pretty hard. And another track people get on is they try to build a portfolio of single family rentals or small multifamily like duplexes, fourplexes. And I'll tell you, Kevin, most of the people I talk to, when they get to about 10, they feel like they're at a breaking point and they can't stand Mm. life anymore. You know, they're getting calls, the toilet being clogged, or they have an eviction, or these tenants make up ridiculous. Do you know, in California, there are websites telling tenants how to get almost a year free rent by playing the system against landlords. I mean, it's tough. And I've talked to maybe two people who've got up over 100 rentals. Uh, one guy with in Fargo with 325. And you know what he told me? He said, I'm not loving life. Even though I've got a whole staff and team and property managers, I'm not loving this. I'm going to pare down from the 325 to my top 100 rentals 
And then I'm going to put that money and invest it passively. And Kevin, a lot of people I find would be better off staying with their day jobs, making as much money as they can, and then investing passively. And a whole lot of people go on this path to flips, then single family portfolio, and then back to passive rentals. It's like contractors. You, Everybody knows, almost everybody knows construction people who did really well with one or two employees. So they expanded to 50 or 100 employees. They were miserable and they went back to one or two or even just yeah. themselves. It's right. very similar with this. And I think a lot of people will be happier investing passively. My, my mantra for this is, why work harder than you need to to make less than you could? <laughs> it's a good mantra. <laughs> I agree with that. So you had these experiences now. You've got this mantra of not having to work harder, but you now work in commercial real estate, correct? Yeah, well, we've been investing in commercial real estate for about nine years now. Okay. So what led you to doing the commercial real estate? You know, I actually had, we, we built a, a ground up multifamily quasi hotel, quasi man camp in the Bakken oil rush in North Dakota. And we operated that for a number of years and that went really well. Now, then we took a lot of that money and on a lot of effort and we built a very classy Hyatt house hotel and everything went wrong. We overspent on it. The general contractor went belly up. Oil prices, it was in an oil location. Oil prices went from $110 at their peak down to below 30 at their depth. Honestly, everything went against us. And my partner, who was 100% guarantor and had his name on that, unfortunately, was not able to keep that hotel. And so I looked at that and I looked at different things I'd done over the years. And I said, you know, I, I'm in my 50s now, for heaven's sakes. I want to get something. I want to really invest. I don't want to keep speculating. Right. So I wanted to get into something that was predictable, had demographic trends that we're looking out over many years or decades. And I wanted to get something that was stable, not necessarily liquid. I, I mean, I know at one end of the liquid, at the spectrum, you've got liquidity right. and potential instability in the stock market. At the other end of the spectrum, you've got predictability and stability, but not liquidity in commercial real estate. Well, I chose that. And so I started investing in multifamily. I wrote a book called The Perfect Investment, which is about multifamily investing. And then eventually I actually, uh, we, our company Wellings Capital actually also spread out into self-storage and mobile home parks as well. And we opened up two funds and we actually are working with investors to invest in these large projects. Excellent. So now you've come around in your full circle in, in your experience with real estate, right? Right. And you, you've got Welling Capital doing these investments, working with investors, they can get into it, correct? Right. So it looks like to me, you're trying to build stable wealth, right? Mm -hmm. Something that's lasting, something that could be multi-generational. Is that correct? Yeah. We're looking to build, help people build multi-generational wealth with as little taxes as possible. A little tax as possible. Excellent. Can you talk a little bit about this path to multi-generational wealth? Yeah, absolutely. You know, Kevin, I think there's a reason that most of the Forbes 400 either make or perpetuate their wealth in commercial real estate. Right. The problem I had with it is I would look at these malls, you know, that were built 20 or 30 years ago and now they're, they've got flea markets at the malls or whatever. And I, and I really, that made me nervous, right? I looked at these old office buildings that were half empty and, so I got really nervous about commercial real estate, but I, I wasn't aware that there is a 
very powerful driver in commercial real estate that's not available in residential real estate. And I think that's why a lot of the wealthiest people in the world want to be in commercial. The problem is, and I'll get back to that driver in a minute. The problem is there's some very high barriers to entry. Right, right. Basically, generally, we're not invited to their party. And right. the, the barriers to entry are you need a whole lot of net worth, a whole lot of liquidity, and a whole lot of experience to get a bank loan or even in some cases to get a seller to even take you seriously if you want to buy. So there's reasons for that, though. There's something called the value formula in commercial real estate. Now, Kevin, you and I know if we sold, if we bought a house for half a million and we expanded, you know, we built out the attic, built out the basement, added rooms on, you know, make it really beautiful. We spent a million dollars doing all that, but all the other houses in the neighborhood were still at five or six hundred thousand. We're probably not going to get our million dollars out of that because Residential real estate is based on comps or comparable values. Right. Commercial real estate's entirely different. The value formula is this. It's value equals net operating income divided by the rate of return or the cap rate. And so right. the net operating income is the numerator. The cap rate is the denominator. The cap rate has typically been eight to 10% over many, many decades, but now in the current boom, it has really dropped into the more to the four to seven percent range for the capitalization rate. Mm-hmm. So, Kevin, with the value formula, again, income divided by rate of return, if you, and that's the expected rate of return for that type right. of asset in that market, if you can increase the numerator, which is very doable, and if you can somehow compress the denominator, which is harder, but sometimes possible, you can drive appreciation. You can force appreciation. And when you add leverage in, it's super powerful. Here, here's an example. If you can increase uh, our, our investors, our operators that we work with in our fund, they say they go around looking to pick up dollar bills. And I'm like, what? What do you mean by that? They say, well, listen to this formula. If you can increase income by $1 at a property, Let's say you increase revenue or decrease costs by $1 a month. That $1, okay, I'm really good in math. That's $12 a year, okay? $12 by the, that's the value. That's the the value formula is, again, income by cap rate. So the $12 in income divided by a cap rate, which is an average cap rate these days of 6%, so 0.06, 12 divided by 0.06 is $200. You can increase the value of that property $200 by driving $1 in increased monthly income. But it's better than that because if you use leverage, let's say it's 60% leverage, you divide that $200 by 1 minus 0.6 or 0.4. And basically you multiply, that has a two and a half X impact on the value of the equity, two and a half times the $200 and to the value of the asset. So, I mean, if you want, I can go through a real example, not just using a dollar, but this is why commercial real estate investors are happy. And another reason they're happy is on tax day, they usually pay very little, if any, in taxes. So those are two reasons people love to get in commercial real estate. Wow. They have more control with what they get out of it and they have some stability for the future. Right. Yeah. Those are good reasons. (laughs) Yeah. It's powerful. Now, you mentioned taxes, right? Yeah. What are the couple of tax advantages that you're talking about? You bet. So 
so depreciation is a powerful thing. And there's, uh, we commercial real estate can actually implement something called a cost segregation study, which is an engineering slash or a CPA uh, team that comes out and they analyze how much of this property is land, which is not depreciable, how much of it is a building, which is real property, and it is depreciable, but how much of it is personal property it can be depreciated in an accelerated manner. And so what they can determine is, well, for example, in an apartment, you have a building, but you also have roofs that actually can be depreciated in not 27 and a half years like the apartment building, but a roof might be able to be depreciated in 15 years. Right. And the landscaping, parking lot stripes, paving, that can be 15 years. But interior, you know, you've got carpets, paint, lighting, you've got other electrical outlets, you've got cabinets and countertops and sinks. All that can be depreciated much more quickly, like in five years. And so a cost seg, cost segregation study will allow you to put these different costs in buckets and depreciate some more quickly. What this does is it often means that the investor, while getting cash in their pocket every quarter, is getting a negative number or a zero, let's say, on their tax return, on their K-1. And by getting that, it's a powerful way to save taxes. And it's a powerful uh, driver for them to, again, build up multi-generational wealth. Now, another tax advantage for commercial real estate is they've actually, the um, you know, love him or hate him, we've got a commercial real estate investor in the White House and the new tax reform law that went into effect in, effect in late 17 actually says that you can actually do bonus depreciation. And a lot of things that can be depreciated over, say, 15 years can be now depreciated in the same year. So if you add up to, a, let's say, a million dollars in roofs, HVAC, et cetera, you can depreciate those in one year. That's a huge loss that you're going to be able to carry forward on your tax returns for a long time. And that's right. one of the reasons commercial real estate investors don't pay a lot of taxes in income taxes and or in capital gains, you know, the 1031 exchange that we're, most of us are familiar with allows you to sure. swap one real estate property for another. That used to be, in fact, for cars and boats and airplanes and right. art, even uh, patents. Now that is not true. It's only good for real estate as of the new tax law. So capital gains can also be kicked down the road till your death. And at your death, the, re the basis can actually be reset. And if you're individual, you can reset it to up to $11 million or $22 million as a couple, leaving your heirs zero capital gains. Wow. That's pretty powerful. Yeah, it is. Taxes is a huge erosion and problem for many, many people. So that sounds like some good strategies there to be able to help postpone or potentially eliminate most of tax problems for most people that would be getting into right. any kind of investment. They can go this direction. That's definitely a good strategy. Right. Wealth tactic there. Yeah, it's powerful. Yeah. So are there any other tax strategies that you know they could take advantage of? Yeah. I mean, so the uh, a lot of real estate investors are now benefiting also from the 20% reduction in pass-through income tax, but there are certain conditions for that. Another thing is called the installment sale. A lot of people don't want to do a 1031 exchange. They can do what's called an installment sale. If you have a property that's worth, you know, let's say half a million or more, that might make sense. And uh, people who do that get like 95% of the proceeds with no capital gains. 
day one rather than wait, you know, having to roll it forward. Another tax strategy is, well, let me, let me tell you a quick story that kind of ties a lot of this together. Can I? Sure. Go ahead. All right. So I've changed a few numbers in this just to make it easier math, but uh, we invest in mobile home parks, self storage, multifamily. Now, one of our operators bought a mobile home park and let's just say the amount they paid was five million. It was in that range. Now, with $5 million purchase, they put 60% debt on it. So there were $3 million in debt, $2 million in equity on this $5 million purchase. Now, the first thing this new operator owner noticed was that people had, you know, a boat or an RV or a work trailer or three or four or five or six cars sitting around their trailer. And they said, we're going to clean this place up. And so what they did is the operator paved an acre of weeds. And he put a beautiful fence and gate around it. And he said, okay, if you've got any of this extra stuff, you have to park it inside this area. And by the way, we're going to charge you for that. And so he did that to clean up the park. And he also is making additional income. Now, he's going to go out to the community next on Craigslist, et cetera, and say, hey, we've got you know rentable parking area for your boats or RVs. And that's a big benefit to a lot of homeowners in subdivisions where they're not allowed to keep that stuff in their driveway. And so he, once he rents all this out, his income on this will be up to $10,000 a month on just the rented space, you know, parking of that on that acre. Wow. It only cost him $100,000. So $100,000 in up to $120,000 per year out. Now, what's the value of this at the asset level? Well, it's $120,000. Remember the formula, $120,000 in income divided by a cap rate of 6%. That is an increased value to the property of $2 million just from this $100,000 expense. Now you take $2 million and you add it onto a $5 million property and you just increase the value of the property by 40%. But it's better than that because remember, Kevin, the equity involved in this was there was a $3 million loan, $2 million in investment, $2 million in equity. That $2 million in equity just went up to $4 million. It doubled in value from this one fairly straightforward change to the property. This is the power of commercial real estate investing. Now, that's the value side. Now, the tax side of the story. Now, a mobile home park, you would think, wouldn't be very depreciable because it's mostly land. Not true. It's actually typical that a mobile home park would be uh, have a cost basis of 30% in land, 35% in land improvements like, you know, like shrubbery and parking lots and the office and lighting and sidewalks, 35% land improvements and 35% goodwill. Yeah. And so now the goodwill and the land improvements can be depreciated. That 70% of the value of the property can be depreciated over a 15-year straight line basis. Well, guess what? That's 4.66% per year of income that's now going to be written off through depreciation. But it's better than that because, again, leverage kicks in and leverage makes that 4.66% if at 60% loan-to-value ratio. That jumps it up to 11.66%. So someone could make 11.6% income every year from that mobile home park and pay exactly zero in taxes. Pretty powerful. Very powerful. That's pretty amazing, actually. Yeah. Does your business help people with these or you help people get into buying into these? 
Yeah. So what we did is we decided we couldn't be an experts in everything. And we looked at kind of Warren, we looked at Warren Buffett's model and said, okay, look, he looks for great operators in great markets with great products all around the countries. We're going to do the same thing. So we're going to invest in these great operators and we're going to fund them so they can go out and buy great deals and operate them and make a profit like this. So that's why we set up Wellings Income Fund One and Wellings Growth Fund One which are allowing us to tap into these operators' deals and provide these tax benefits on a pass-through basis to our investors. Good deal. Yeah. So, Paul, we've got some great strategies that we've talked about today for taxes and commercial real estate and looking to get into investing. You know, with your podcast, obviously, of how to lose money, do you have any tips that you could leave our Wealthetic Rebels listeners with that could help them avoid some unnecessary losses if they decide to start down this kind of road. Absolutely. So uh, I actually, one of my business partners, the guy I did the North Dakota projects with, actually ran for governor of Colorado about a year ago, and he he didn't make it to the primary. But he said, I rub shoulders with a lot of billionaires and a lot of really wealthy, successful people. And he said, you know, they're no different than the rest of us, except that, you know, they typically had similar education, similar IQ. But they did one thing really well, he said, that he didn't do. And that was they did not chase shiny objects. Like Bill Gates, they realized what they wanted to do as a teen or 20-something. They set their mind on that one thing. They became an expert in that field, and they never strayed from it. You know, Gary Keller says, you've got to say a 1,000 or even 10,000 no's to allow yourself to say yes to that one thing that you really need to focus on. So that would be one piece of advice, and that is don't chase shiny objects. A second piece of advice will be be very careful on due diligence. Don't rush in. You know, we all know that we make decisions emotionally, but we need to be as rational as we can. We need to get outside people who are willing to be blunt and look at the cold, hard facts and cold, hard numbers and be willing to help you say no to almost everything So you can say yes to those few deals that make the most sense. Another piece of advice I already gave, and that would be make sure you know the difference between investing and speculating. And if you want to speculate with some of your money, go for it. But if you keep playing double or nothing with most of your money, you'll eventually hit nothing. And then what will you have left to double? Right. Good advice. I agree with that. Yeah. Well, Paul, I think it's been been a great talk with you today. Really appreciate your experience in your wealth nuggets and sharing those with all of our wealth tactic rebels thanks it's been great being here absolutely great having you thank you so much wealth tactic rebels thank you for listening today what we're going to do is we're going to put paul's contact information and his podcast the how to lose money all that information will be on our show notes page so you can go there to find it anytime you want which is at wealth rebels.com again thank you paul i really appreciate you being here today You bet, Kevin. It was an honor to be here. and I look forward to coming on again. Maybe we can talk more in depth on tax strategies. Sounds like a plan. I agree with that. Let's do that. You heard it here, Wealth Tax Rebels. We're going to have another one with Paul. We're going to have an in-depth talk about tax strategies. So until then, thank you again, Paul. Thank you, Wealth Tactic Rebels. Hope you all have a fantastic day. Want to really see things differently? Take our course in Genius Tactics 201, where we teach you all the wealth accumulating tactics with detailed real-life examples, 
screenshots, downloads, and a step-by-step guide to help you. See your progress with quizzes, a final, and a certificate of completion. For course details, visit WealthTacticRebels.com. Sign up today and start seeing things differently. This presentation is intended as informational only. Information presented does not consider your particular financial objectives, risk tolerance, time horizon, or other unique circumstances, and does not constitute a personalized recommendation or replace the advice of a financial, tax, or legal advisor or other qualified professionals. Do your own research and do not use the information of this presentation in place of a customized consultation with a licensed professional. To the best of our ability, we provide content that is accurate as of the date of release. However, we give no assurance or guarantee regarding its accuracy, timeliness, completeness, or applicability. We assume no liability for the information of this and related presentations.